join me in prayer as we pray over Lynn this afternoon. Father, our brother is coming here as your humble servant, and um, he's going to talk to us about victory and how we can experience it in our own lives and, and help others experience it as well. Father, help him to be bold, unashamed, to preach your word, not his own. And help us, Father, to open our minds and open our hearts wide, to soak in, to take in, to understand, to process all the things that you want to say to us today through Lynn. Father, uh, may it not just be an intellectual exercise in our brains that we leave having learned some fun facts or neat illustrations, but I pray that it will truly penetrate our hearts and provoke us to change and provoke us to action. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. I love you. Are you having a good workshop? At CMU Tulsa Workshop 2016. You like, doesn't that sound good? What about last night? Guys, I got to tell you, the praise team is, you know how good they are. We all know how good they are. Tulsa wasn't ready for how good they are. Although there was one lady in the crowd, I'm sitting here, or standing, I never sat the whole time through, just like the rest of you. I'm standing here, and I look over to my left, and there is a lady. She had to be, I'm terrible at guessing age, but I would guess she's in her late 80s. Sweetest lady you'd ever see, looking at her, just so sweet. And they're singing these songs, and she's standing there, and she's singing, and her hands are in the air, and she's going with, with the music, and then about every two or three minutes, she'd sit down, and she'd take three or four deep breaths, and she'd look up, and then she'd stand back up, and her hands would go up, and she'd start singing again. And this went on the whole time the praise team was going on. I'm telling you, my heart was just exploding watching her praising God in a way that I, I, I bet she's never praised God that way. It was incredible. I went through so many emotional swings last night that I am literally exhausted today standing here talking to you. And it, was, it, was, and it was, wasn't what happened afterwards, although that was pretty exhausting too, but fun. That wasn't an emotional swing. It was the workshop. You have to understand, I've been here at the workshop since the early 70s when they started doing them, and, and I never saw that I can remember what happened last night. And the so many emotional swings that happened from that lady singing, starting with the singing, from that and witnessing that, I mean, my heart was already just ripped open. And then Robert gets up there and, and then does what he does with the three testimonies. I was a puddle on the floor. I was, I was amazed that I could even hear what Robert was saying after that, although that continued the roller coaster, just that and that. And so to, to follow that up and have to stand up here and talk before you, I have to apologize because uh, it's not going to be anywhere as good as that. I mean, you got the best you're going to get last night, I think. About 15, 10 or 12 years ago, I can't remember exactly, I was up here to the Tulsa Workshop, and every year when I lived in Tampa that I came to the Tulsa Workshop, I would go and visit a friend of mine that lived here in Tulsa. He's a minister that preached at a local church congregation here, and he preached at that congregation for 45 years. 
this particular year, he had just retired. And I would often, every year that I come, I would come and talk to him and get advice and share our ministry and how well we were doing. And, you know, the last year I had been up here and talked to him, I think we had baptized 20 or 30 people. And this year when I was talking to him, not this year, but that year I'm talking about, when I was talking to him, we had baptized somewhere around 50 people total. And, you know, so it was exciting. And I came in there and shared that bit of good news with him. And that, But I had an agenda that day. I had... At that time, uh, our growth had caused a little bit of pushback. Every minister in here that's had any success knows what I'm talking about. You start to get a little bit of pushback when you start to be successful. Uh, Satan doesn't like what's going on, so he causes some pushback. And I won't go into what that pushback was, but I had a couple of elders I was having to deal with over, over what was happening. And we had eight, so it was only a couple out of the eight. It really wasn't anything to complain about, and it was a bad pushback. It was just a little I wasn't experiencing this giant persecution. It was just kind of a little bit of jabbing here and there. But I was taking it personal. So I sat down with my friend. And after I shared the good news with him, I, I said, I got I to gotta ask you. How did you, those so many years, 45 years in one congregation, how did you deal with elders like, like I just described to you? How did you deal with it when they started doing this to you? His whole continents changed put his hands on the table and he got, looked me square in the eyes and he said, Lynn, listen to me. You really need to hear this. I know ministers that have ministered in churches all their life, including myself, who have never been able to lead as many people to Christ as you have. Why would you worry about something negative that somebody else is saying? I, I was overwhelmed. Here's a man I had looked up to all my life in the ministry, all my life, period, because I'd known him since I was young. And here he was telling me I was doing something that he wishes he could have done. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that I left there with something as he continued to talk to me. I left there with a drive to do two things that he kind of encouraged me to do. If he had it to do over again, here's what he would do. And he left me with this drive. One, it's the, the desire to pass on the ability to do two things. One, develop people to fight this battle with you. He said, picture yourself being in a war, because we are in a war. We're in the mother of all wars. We're fighting the hordes of hell for the souls of mankind. I hope you hear me saying that over and over and over in all the workshops I speak, because that is so important about what we are doing in campus ministry. But he says, develop fighters to fight beside you. Fighters that you can trust. Soul fighters that you can trust and be with. You don't have to worry about them swinging their sword and cutting you. You don't have to worry about them not being good at what they're doing and harming you. They've got you. And they're going to fight side by side with you. He said, and then you teach them how to develop people on the other side of them. And then you teach them how to develop people behind them. Before you know it, you've got an army. And you can win thousands to Christ. So he drove me to want to do that. To develop people to fight beside us and teach them to do the same thing. I believe that all of that teaching starts with the power that is found in transformation. But in order to transform something first, something, 
something fundamental, something basic, something I would call profound has to happen. If we want to experience the power of transformation, if we want to experience the power of a victorious life, the first thing that has to happen to everyone that we're going to train is they have to die to themselves. They have to be willing to die. Robert said it last night, and I'll say it again. Jesus said it this way. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a single seed. It's never going to do anything as a single seed. It has to die first. You see, the road to a victorious life is through death. Jesus said, anyone that does not hate his own life cannot be my disciple. Anyone that does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone that does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. You see, throughout all of Jesus' teachings, this one concept takes center stage. Unless you die, you can't live. Think about that. Unless you die, you can't live. Jesus said, no one not Lynn Stringfellow, not Kerry Cox, not Robert Cox, not Carol Stringfellow, not anybody you know or ever heard of will see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You see, in order to live the Christian life, in order to transform into the image of Christ, we have to first die. In Christ, there is no victorious life without death. I think that concept is more difficult to teach to those of us that grew up in the church than it is to those we reach in the world. I think it's because we never got taught about dying. All my life growing up in the church, I really, now that I look back on it and think about it, I really realize they were focused on me. And they were focused on teaching me to be about me. They weren't focused on me dying. Even when it came to talking about my baptism, I think Robert talked to him this last night, and I was wanted to get up and say, hey, stop it, you're hitting all over my lesson. They were teaching us about baptism and doing a good job of teaching me about baptism, and I got baptized because they told me to get baptized, but I honestly remember my baptism, and I remember the reason I got baptized. Anybody want to guess? To wash away my sins. That was it. And, and don't get me wrong. We do wash away our sins in baptism. They taught Acts 2.38, but they never taught me about Romans 6, 3 through 15 or so. You know what's there? If you've been buried with Jesus Christ like this in his death, if you've been buried with him through this baptism, if then you'll be raised anew. It's a teaching of us participating with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And if I don't participate with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, I'm not going to be raised with him anew. That was the real teaching of the cross. That was the real teaching of the gospel. Baptism from Acts 2.38 by itself was just teaching me how to escape hell. It wasn't teaching me how to live again. You see the difference? And that's what happened to me. And I think, 
I think that's what happened to us. You see, teaching dying to self takes a concentrated effort. When I'm trying to develop leaders, trying to help others experience victory and develop people behind them and develop soldiers to the side of them and the soldiers behind them, um, I'll do little, little things like, you know, for example, I'll constantly hear, for example, uh, we're, we're doing some type of event. We're going bowling, a simple, simple, silly thing like bowling. And somebody will say, it always happens. I, I don't like to bowl. Uh, so I'm not going to go. You know, y'all go, y'all have fun. I'm not going to go. I, I don't really like bowling. And it's almost like the other people in my ministry have been around long enough, that have been around any length of time, they already know the answer that's coming. They're just kind of sitting there going, oh, oh, hit him, hit him, hit him. Because they know it's coming because I'm going to look at them and say, your friend that we're reaching out to does like bowling, and that's why we're doing it. You see, believe it or not, it's not about you. But, but you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, I don't, I don't care what you like. It's not about you. You're supposed to be dead. At least that's what you said when you went into the waters of baptism. You said to the Lord, I give up. I've tried it my way. I'm, 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 I give up. I'm going to come out of that water. I'm a new person living for you. What happened to that person? Because you're back to living for you. They don't like that conversation. Well, it just doesn't. Oh, I love this one. Oh, I love, I love this one because it almost always comes from where I was when I was their age. A church kid, where I was, spoiled, rotten. This one always comes in, and it <laughs> the verbiage is always the same. You can tell it's coming from a church kid because they'll say, well, you know, I, I'm not really coming to the Bible class because it, it doesn't have any meat to it. It just, it just doesn't feed me. It doesn't feed me. I said, I like to look at them and say, well, whoever said it was about you? Where did you get the idea in our ministry that anything we do is about you? You're supposed to be dead. You know that nasty body that you've got hanging all over you? You went back to the burial grave and pulled it back out and you're wearing it. And you know what? You think it looks good, but everybody else sees it and it stinks and it's nasty. Go put it back. We had... I have to constantly even be reminding myself of this. I mean, everybody, I think, has to, has to at times. We had an event just this past week, last weekend, I think it was. Things have flown by so fast, I can't even remember all that happened. But what, a couple of our ministry leaders said, man, I've got this great idea of this awesome event that will bring a lot of people. A hundred people will come. I promise you, we're going to do it, guys. We were, we're kind of an event up to here right about now. We're all ready for the toss of workshop, and we're kind of, oh, we'll take it, and we'll run with it. I said, okay, all right, all right, good. We'll you let you all take it and run. What is it? WrestleMania. Ah, shoot me in the head. I can't stand wrestling. Professional wrestling. The thing they put on TV where they jump from the sky and land with their elbows, you know, that stuff. Oh, I can't stand. Lynn, it's not about you. (laughs) That one hurt. (laughs) Got me. So we held the WrestleMania, and guess what we had? Guess how many people came? We, we, we bought 40 hot dogs because we were expecting 25 or 30. You know, we overprepare a little bit so everybody can eat too, right? We had more guests 
than we had our own people there. It was packed. It was unbelievable. The thing that bothered me the most, there may be some of you in here, so don't take this wrong. Um, they thought it was real. <laughs> when the guy jumped off that 40-foot cage, which was probably more like 20 feet, but they call it 40 feet, and he jumped off and landed. I saw the airbag under the cardboard box that he landed on that they were calling the table. But they, they bought it. <laughs> and that scared me a little bit. I didn't know if I wanted to do that event again with people that were buying that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love what Robert said last night. I like to use it as often as possible and then claim it to be mine. But since y'all heard it last night, I can't claim it. The thing about a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You see, we must keep teaching that dying to self is continuous. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He also said in in another section, I die every day. He says, I mean that. I die daily. You see, dying to self is the pathway to transformation. Dying to self is the pathway to transformation. Let's turn our attention to helping others experience this victorious life, which is what I was supposed to talk to you about. When I was growing up, not too far from here, actually, in a little town about 14 miles outside of a little town called Salisaw, Oklahoma, out in the eastern, east, or, is that, yes, eastern Oklahoma. Um, is out, growing up out on a farm, and we were having a particular problem with coyotes. One of them had just recently killed one of our calves, and, and it was getting bad out there, and they were hiring people to go and kill coyotes. I mean, it became a big deal there for a little while. I was about 13 years old, and me and my papa and my uncle and one of his friends had gone to scout out places for deer stands. And while on our way back, we crossed, we just crossed the fence line and we flushed out a coyote. He, he took off from a culvert that was down under the fence line, took off running, and he ran up about 150 yards from us and stopped on, on a little knoll on a hill, stopped and looked back at us like, what? What are you going to do now? Well, I was carrying a, an automatic 22 rifle. There really wasn't much, much I was going to do with that. To that coyote. My papa was carrying a shotgun. Well, you're not going to hit a coyote at 150 yards with a shotgun. My uncle was carrying a 30-30. So he grabs that, puts it on the fence line. Him, he's getting ready to take care of that coyote. My grandpa, papa, grabs that rifle, jerks it out of his hand, and said, no. And Uncle John, who's an accomplished hunter and one of the best shots I, ever, I had ever met, was like, what? And he said, I want Lynn to take that shot. I want that coyote dead, and he's the best shot here. He can hit that coyote easy because he can hit a quarter at 150 yards. I was in shock. <laughs> I was like, you, he wants me? Now, looking back, I realized what he was doing. He was building my confidence, right? It was just a little thing, shooting a gun at a coyote. I mean, that's just, that's just a little thing, right? But to me, that little thing meant everything. He was building my confidence. It's little things we do sometimes that helps the people we're reaching and trying to train beside us and behind us. Sometimes it's just little things that gets them started on a pathway to make them something, something special. Warriors that we want to fight and fight with. 
For example, in Bible classes, I'll, I'll uh, often pick somebody, to, pick somebody out of the group to read the section of scriptures that, you know, I just, I just know before I ask them, they don't really like to read because they, cause they're, they have a little problem with self-confidence maybe, but I like to give them a confidence boost. I'll ask, just same thing, I'll ask people to say a prayer that I know they may have never said one before, but I can't tell you how many times that little thing is a big thing to them. I'll give them duties like, oh, really difficult duties, duties that we, we serve for the most respectful people in our church, passing the trays. You know, the thing we don't let ladies do because they can pass it this way, but they can. You, you know what I'm saying. Uh, we don't get started on that one, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I'll give them the duty of passing trays. And you would think I'd just given them the biggest job in the world. You know what I mean? But those little things sometimes are confidence builders that turns them into mighty warriors. And they'll tell you later, you know, I didn't really feel a part of your group until you asked me to pass those trays. It's amazing to me that that's such a little thing, but yet it was such a big thing. I went and visited Carrie's ministry one time years ago, and I'd, he had just started doing something. And the way I found out about it, he was on a phone call with somebody, and I forget who he was talking to. I'll say it was Ben. He was talking to Ben and had a conversation with him. And as soon as he got ready to hang up, he said, all right, bud, see you later. All right, Ben, see you later. Love you. And hung up. I was like, and you love Ben a lot, don't you? He said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you said, I love you. He said, oh, dude, that's just automatic. We've just started doing that. We do that with everybody we talk to. We finish our conversations. We finish everything with, I love you. I thought, you know, that is pretty cool. I think we'll go back into where I was in Tampa at that time. Let's do the same thing. So I implemented that. I got our group together, and I implemented that into our ministry. I mean, it wasn't two days after I had had that meeting with the rest of our ministry and talked about doing that, that I had picked up a young man who wanted to be a part of, wanted to go to an event we were having. And so I picked him up, took him to it, and then I was taking him home that night. And we drive into the driveway, reaches to open the door, and I say, all right, man, see you later, love you. He had opened the door and he stopped. He looked at me, said, what'd you say? And I said, see you later, love you. And he said, he shut the door and tears started coming down his face. I'll never forget this. And he turned and looked at me after a few seconds of crying and said, nobody has ever said that to me. (laughs) That blew me away. That, Isn't that such a little thing? But to some people, it's everything. And to him, it was everything. And before you can go into any depth in training a leader, it's very important that they're wearing the same glasses that you're wearing. Here's what I mean. I have leaders sometimes, even even ministers, ask me, Lynn, how do you get kids in your ministry? How do you get people to get it? And I'll admit I've struggled over the years with how to help church kids get it because, well, it took me over 40 years as a church kid to get it. It it took a lot of reteaching to get me to get it. Dr. Yakeley said the reason our church kids don't get it is because they were never discipled. That's something to think about. But, but I'll tell you this. When you're a person that gets it, You desperately desire other people to get it. 
I mean, that desperation reaches a point when you get people in your group and, oh man, you get somebody new coming in. Maybe it's some little short, cute girl that's so bubbly and so out. Oh my gosh, if they could get it, they'll reach hundreds just because of their personality, just because they're so bubbly and so excited. And sometimes you just want to put your hand on the head and say, oh, calm down just a second because you're just too much for me. And, and you just know if they can get it, They'll reach hundreds for Christ. And you, it becomes, it reaches a point, it honestly does, of becoming something that's just painful. Do you know what I mean? It just reaches a point where I saw a movie one time. And when I saw this scene in the movie, that he's going to show you a clip of it here in a second. When I saw this, this scene in the movie, I said, that's it. That's the pain I feel when I meet somebody that I know can get it and they don't quite get it. Go ahead and show that for me. And it honestly is painful. You know, I said it kind of a funny way before, but I hope you're seeing it now. It really, when, when there are people that get it, it really becomes painful when you're trying so desperately to help someone else get it, especially when it's someone that, I don't know, that you just, you just know if they could get it, how much good they could do for the Lord. Back to what I was talking about when I said they must be wearing the same glasses. Uh, it wasn't a, just a few years ago I was dealing with a couple of people that were, um, they were dealing with PTSD. And I really wanted to know how to help them. They were in a ministry and, I, and, I, and one of them was very close to me. And I, and I really wanted to know how to help. And another friend helped me to understand it. He described it this way. He said, Lynn, it's, it's like they're, they're living and seeing something different than you are. He said, it, it's like they're wearing different glasses than you're wearing. What they see, you don't see. It's because of what they ex- have experienced. And he started, he worked specifically with people that had just come back from Af- Afghanistan and he said, you've got to understand what they've seen. They can't, they can't even talk about it. It tears their emotions up. But they're living in a different world than you and I are because of what they're seeing. He said, let me give you an example. He said, imagine walking into a room. And this was at the coffee shop. He said, imagine walking into this coffee shop and it's full of people. He said, now imagine when you walk in, the very first thing you do is you identify where the exits are. And you do that within a millisecond. He said, then the next thing you do is you identify every person in the room and where the safest route to those exits are, where there is safe cover and there is a place that nobody else can be behind you because that's where you're going to go sit or stand. He said, and then the next thing you're doing is you're scouring that room and you're looking and you're identifying who might be a threat, who's large enough, Who's big enough? Who, who might, who's the first threat? Who's the second threat? Who do I need to worry about? Who in that room's right-handed? Who in that room's left-handed? He said, all that's going through your mind the whole time you enter the room. Imagine living your life that way every time you walk into a room where there are any people there. You can even tell who's carrying. Conceal carry. So they know. They know by the way the person's sitting. They know by the way the person's acting. They, they can figure it out. He said, now imagine living in that world. 
And as he was describing, he went on to describe how painful it was. He went on to describe the actions you had to take. I mean, he was helping me to understand it. And as he was explaining it, it something began to click for me, something I hadn't been able to do very well in my ministry myself over the years. It began to click with me. It's the same way with soul winning. People that are soul fighters are wearing a different set of glasses. They see something that other people don't see. They see literally the demons because of the effects. They don't see the demon themselves, but they see the demons that are on people. They see the demons of doubt, the demons of frustration, the demons of confusion, the de- all the damage that's being done to an individual. They see it and they empathize with it and they, and they want to help this person. And they actually are in pain because of what this person is going through. And they're seeing all these things that other people aren't seeing. And what drives them even crazier is trying to explain to other people what you're seeing. They look at you like you're crazy. Because they don't see what you see. People who are dealing with PTSD have the same problem. You see, you don't see what they see. And the only way to see what they see is to experience what they did. And none of us want to do that. But as soul fighters, that's exactly what we want you to do. We want you to experience what we're experiencing that causes us to see and be wearing the glasses that we're wearing. You know, I know, I know what I just said can come across as arrogant. To some of you sitting here who's never wore the glasses, and there's not very many in this room, most people in here, I can tell, I can tell because I know you're uh, you, you wearing the glasses. But to those that don't, this could come across as arrogant. I promise you what I'm telling you is not coming from a heart of arrogance. It's coming from a heart of love. And when you experience it, and that's why it's so difficult when you haven't experienced it, it's so hard to explain it to you because you're not seeing the same thing. How do you explain something that you've never seen? It's kind of like John when, when God took him where he took him in Revelations and said, I want you to explain what you see. And no telling how far in the future he took him. Imagine the Apostle John being taken so far in the future that he sees a helicopter. How do you describe that? <laughs> but anyway, how do you describe to someone what you can't see? It becomes painful. Jesus said, and I help myself occasionally with this, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Please understand, the people that are wearing those glasses, they're willing to do anything to help you see what they're seeing. Some of you have heard me tell about this dream. I call it a dream because people have a problem with the word vision. So just dream that I have. And I've had over the years, the first time I had it, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to describe it. For those of you who heard it before, I'll get to the last one I had, which was a, probably a few months ago, that's updated it because it's been updating over the years. The first time I had it, here's the scene. I'm standing on a shoreline that goes off at an angle as far as you can see like this and it's what you're standing what i'm standing on in this in this dream is like clear granite and it's just almost sparkling it's it's so beautiful and everything behind you is this clear granite but everything in front of me is this black goo i, I would call it tar except it's too shiny to be tar. It's just, it's just sticky, and it's, 
and in it is people. And the first, my first dream, the first time I had it, the people, the faces I was seeing in it that are covered in this goo from various places, from just up to the legs, some of them all the way up to the body, some of them completely covered in it. But I can see their faces, and they're people that I was responsible for putting there. Things in my life that I had done or not done had led to them being there. And they're looking back at me, and the people throughout that are screaming, help me, help me, and they're reaching towards me. And I'm like, how do I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to touch that. You know, that's what's going through me in, in this dream. And the first time I had it, that's all it was. It ended there. Years later, and that dream would repeat, sometimes monthly, sometimes even in a week. Years later, I had that dream again, that dream, and it changed a little bit. At the end, I'm actually reaching, and I'm pulling somebody out. And this is after I had gotten into ministry, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally. As I'm pulling them out, the black goo is disappearing from them, and I pull them to the shoreline, they become clean. After a few years, and some of you already know this, that dream changed again. And it began to be, I'm pulling someone out. And from that point, it's still the same at that point. I look to my left and there's people I've baptized in my ministry and trained and they're pulling somebody out. And I look to my right and there's people I've baptized and trained and they're pulling somebody out. The last time I had this dream. And I, maybe it was because preparation for this class that made me have it. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe, you know. It's possible God's given me this vision. I'm pulling out and people beside me pulling out. And as far as I can see, there are people pulling out. And I see faces of you in the crowd right now that I'm looking going, you're down there and you're pulling people out. Or you're standing here behind somebody that they're pulling out and they're handing them off to you. And they're handing them off to you and they're wiping them down with towels. And they're talking to them about getting in line. You see, that's what we want. That's what we at Campus Ministry United are trying to accomplish. We want warriors to the side of us as far as the eye can see. We want warriors behind them as far as the eye can see. We want it to be never ending. If you talk to any warrior in this room, and I'm telling you, looking across this room, this is what encourages me to be able to speak even after Robert last night. This room is full of warriors. And there are some mighty ones in here. But if you were to look, go go to any one of them and ask them, how do you do it? Every one of them eventually are going to give you this verse. And I love this. Because every one of them eventually will get here. And this is the verse they'll give you. The Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give who? The victory. Do you see that? Don't don't miss that last part. Who's he giving? Who does he want to give victory to? You. He wants you to experience the victory. He's not saying, I'm going with you to fight for you so that I can gain a victory. Why does he want you to gain a victory? You see, everybody that I'm talking about that you'd ask that question to, they've all learned something wearing those glasses. It's not about them. It's about him. He takes joy in using us. He takes joy in giving us victory. 
So every time you experience victory, I picture Jesus standing there going, yes, she finally did it. Crystal is experiencing victory. I see him celebrating over it because he takes joy in us experiencing victory. Do you you see, do do you even feel what I'm trying to talk about here? Let's move on to helping others put on those glasses. Mark this down. The only way anyone is ever going to wear the glasses I'm talking about is to experience the fight. To get in it and be involved in the fight themselves. I train professional fighters. As a matter of fact, tonight when I leave here, shortly after I leave here, I have to drive down to the River Spirit Casino where I have three professional fighters who are fighting tonight. One of them is defending their title, super heavyweight, defending his his belt. Us coaches that train these fighters, there's one thing we would never do. Put them in the ring against someone with a whole lot more experience. Now, my super heavyweight, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, He's at a level where he's got to take on any and all takers because he owns the belt. But we would never put somebody in there. We try to match them with somebody that's got similar experience. You know what I mean? So they're not at a level where they're just going to walk in and get wiped out. And it takes time to develop people to that. Well, that's how we train soul fighters. We don't just throw them in the arena and say, get out there and fight for souls. Boom, go. (laughs) See how he's getting tore up? We would never do that. We train them and get them ready and take the time to train them. I love what Jesus said to the 72 that came back after he had sent them out. If you were to go into Luke 10 and read the whole story or in 9 and 10, it's, it is, I think it's, it's, it's hilarious at one point, especially verse 17, 10, 17, Luke 10, 17. They came back so excited. And I just picture them coming back. Oh, Jesus, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. Even the demons submit to us in your name. They were so excited about that. But look at how Jesus answers them in verse 18 through 20. This is. It's important. I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. It's interesting what he's developing in the brain when he says that. But I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, however, get everything I just said. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's that saying? He wants me to rejoice because my name's written. Man, if you don't get it, I hope you start to start to click real here pretty soon. My name's written in heaven. Oh, wait a minute. I can't lose. Man, if I had any fighter going, if I'm any of my fighters going in the ring tonight and I had some way to prove to him, dude, Hayes, look, this shirt I'm wearing is his walkout shirt because I'm going to be there to fight. Hey, look, I got something to tell you. God just spoke to me, and I swear it's true. And if he had somehow to convince him it was true, you can't lose tonight. No matter what you do, you're going to win. You can go out there and just fall down, and you're going to win the fight. So go out there, and he would go out there and just, it'd probably be the best fight of his entire career ever. Guys, we don't have anything to fear. We're on the winning team. Do you get that? 
He didn't want them to take joy in the fact that the demons were submitting to them because of him. He wanted them to take joy in the fact that their names were written in heaven. But look at verse 19. This is huge in what we're talking about. He said, I've given you authority to overcome all the power. Not some of the power. All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. We have his authority. His divine power has given us everything we need. Satan has no power as long as we operate under Jesus' authority. You see, we can train soul fighters to fight beside us and behind us with a confidence that we have his authority to fight with. I don't have to train you to be the best in the world I just have to train you to the point that you realize you can't lose. We're winners. We're on the winning team. I'm going to close with some specific. You know me. I like to get practical. How that we can train others to experience victory. I read this in a book somewhere and I've intentionally forgot where it was. I do... And you watch. This is the first part. I call this shadowing. This is the first part in training somebody to fight beside you. I'm, I'm going to take this person I'm training. And I'm going to say. I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. I'm going to experience ministry. I'm going to go out and fight for souls. And I want you to come with me. But all I want you to do. Is watch. That's called shadowing. The second step would be. I'm going to go do. I do. And you help. You were out there with me before. You got to watch me experience. You got to watch and experience what I was doing. You got to take notes. We went back and talked about it. Now you know we get out there. You can help a little bit. You can be involved in this fight yourself a little bit. But you're helping me. You don't take on the fight all by yourself. The next stage is you do and I help. I love this stage because now they're beginning to get into the fight. They're about to get the glasses themselves because they're going to experience some things on their own. They're going to start experiencing some of that pain. They're going to start experiencing some of that, oh, I really want to reach this person. Oh, look what that demon's doing to them. They're going to get to experience that, and I'm going to be helping them. Then the next stage, and I'm moving quicker because I'm getting the hurry-up stage, you do, and I watch. This is the point where they're going to earn their glasses. They're going to do, and I'm just going to watch. I'm going to critique them. When we get done and we get back and get back to the office, we're going to talk about what you experienced. And you're going to be able to tell me, oh, my gosh, that was terrible. Oh, this girl, I have fallen in love with her, and I'm not in the way I used to fall in love with girls. I'm talking about falling in love with this girl's heart, and I want to fight this demon off of her. I can tell. Then I can tell. I can see what you were talking about. I, I helped fighting that. This has got to be a person that's got a wounded heart. Because did you see when she did this and she did that and how it responded to that? And you see, they put the glasses on all of a sudden. They've earned their own glasses. Well, guess what the next one is? The last one is the one that I want to get every single person I'm training to do. Anybody want to take a shot at it before he puts it up? You do and they watch. Duplication. This is how you're going to get more people beside them and more people beside them and more people behind them and more people behind them. This is the process 
we need to use to train soul fighters. This is how you develop mighty warriors. This is how you build a discipling culture. This is how you help other people experience victory. And hear me, I firmly believe this. Victory is only found in doing the will of the Father. You can pontificate on it all you want. You can go to college and take as many courses as you want. You can get as many doctorates as you want so that you are doctor so-and-so. But until you are doing the will of the Father, and this may sound harsh, but I really believe this. You're not a Christian. You're just calling yourself one. And if you have a problem with that statement, go read Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23. Get in the fight. Wear the glasses because far better is it to dare mighty things, to achieve glorious success, even though checked by failure, than to rest with those poor, timid souls who never knew the thrill of victory nor the agony of defeat. Pray with me. Father, thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to stand here in front of so many warriors. And Father, the looks on their faces is the recognition for some of them is going off and saying, oh, this is how I can get someone else fighting with me. Oh, this is the part I've been missing. Or they're laughing inside, looking at me going, I've trained more fighters than you'll ever train. Father, I thank you for being able to be in an environment like that because this is people that get it. And if they're here, they're people that want to get it. If they're not people that get it, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for starting a movement that I get to see in my life, even if I only get to see the flame lit. Father, we love you. We love your son. We thank you for what he did for us. We thank you for bringing us here to the Tulsa Workshop. Continue to guide us in your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I don't have any.